Happy Sunday, Shoreline City. Everybody fired up to be in the house of God today. Hey, we got all of our locations together. White Rock, North Dallas, Bishop Arts, Oak Cliff. Everybody cheer for everyone all over the place. Come on. One family, all these locations. I am so, so thrilled about today. Thrilled about what God has on the horizon at our White Rock campus. We've got people in the lobbies. We are so glad about that. I know Sandman Hotel is continuing to grow. Everything happening at Bishop Arts Oak Cliff. It's been phenomenal to see what God is doing. If uh, you're at our White Rock location, you're like, hey. This place is packed. I love it. But is there some more room? Well, we got a 9 o'clock service. We've got a 1255. We also have these other campuses that are a little bit smaller as well. But regardless, when you come, we're always going to make room for you because we're always going to make sure everyone feels loved, valued, and believed in in this house. We love you tremendously. Give another huge round of applause to all of our first-time guests at all of our locations as well. We're so, so glad you are here. I do want to make mention that we have a lineman coming up on Mar, uh, May 18th. We are thrilled about this. This is the men's ministry uh, of our church. We also have baby dedications taking place on May the 12th. So if you have a baby, bring, bring that baby on the 12th. If you don't have a baby, go get one and bring it on the 12th. And we will dedicate that beautiful baby. We even dedicate ugly babies too. But what I have found... What I have found at Shoreline City is we don't have any ugly babies, so that's a great thing. And have sisterhood on the horizon as well, too, the end of May. All this stuff is on our app, on our website. You can grab it. Uh, I'm excited that we get to continue this series today on relationships. Uh, Define the relationship is the series that we are in. And we are just unwrapping the nuances and the beauty of relationships. If you were with us last week, I got to sit with my beautiful wife for the entirety of the sermon and talk with her. She's a lot smarter than me. So I pray that everyone who was with us felt encouraged. If you didn't get a chance to hear those messages, They are on our YouTube page or on our website. You can go there and grab that. But we're going to continue uh, with this series today, and I'm hoping and praying that we really are all pushed forward. The reality is God wants you to be successful in your relationships. He does. He wants your relationships to be life-giving. He wants them to be strong. He wants them to be good. The reality is from the very, very beginning in the book of Genesis, when God creates Adam, he says it's not good that he's alone. And he creates a relationship, and man has a relationship with woman, and woman with man, even God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's relationship. Uh, you can look, uh, Jesus is asked, what's, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. But you don't just stop there with loving God. you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's relationship. Jesus says these words, uh, how's the world going to know that you're my disciples? If you have love, not just for God, love for each other. There is something beautiful and profound about relationships. This is the thing that can speak to our world. And I want us, God more importantly, wants us flourishing in our relationships. There's no reason for us being followers of Jesus Christ and walking around with relationships that are broken and falling apart. God can put these things back together and push us forward to become all that he's called us to be. Now, I've I've got a fantastic wife, okay? She's fine, she's fine, and she's fine. 
She's got a heart of gold. I love her so, so much. I am definitely better because she is in my life, and I'm, I'm so thankful for her. Now, I have, um, like you, uh, some, some love languages, right? Maybe you read this book by Dr. Gary Chapman. Uh, we're trying to get him to Shoreline City, by the way, so that he can come and uh, share with all the married couples. But, but uh, he, he uh, shares in his book the five love languages, and he goes through, and I, I discovered mine is physical touch. Okay, so um, when I'm out with my wife, sometimes, you know, I like to, you know, grab her hand and we're, you know, walking through wherever, whether it's Bishop Arts or we're walking through shops at Legacy or around White Rock Lake. And I like to kind of, you know, go in for a little. (laughs) Now, she'll she'll give me a little, she'll give me that. But if I'm like, hey, I want a little something more, you know, than just a, come on, husbands, you know what I'm talking about? Just a little... Not crazy, but just a little bit more than the peck. And I'll just kind of go in, and she's like, ooh, I've never seen someone lean back. So, I mean, this woman can go so far back. I'm, I'm, I'm your husband, honey. I'm your, I'm your husband. It's okay that, that we kiss. But I see my kids. My kids will run up to her in public, Okay whether it's my 14-year-old, my 8-year-old, or my 3-year-old, they'll run up to her in public, and they will give her a hug, and she's hugging all over them, and I mean, she will not stop kissing them. And I'm standing there like... All of these human beings will leave us one day, honey. They're all going to leave us, Okay. They do not contribute anything financially to our household at all. I bring value to the table here. And they get all of these kisses in public. I feel like she owes me. I feel like she owes me more kisses in public than she's currently giving me. And that's actually the title of today's message. You owe me. You owe me. So turn to your neighbor at all of our locations and say, you owe me. You owe me. Tell them, you owe me. You owe me. Even in the lobby, tell them, you owe me. We're going to go today, and uh, I'll say today, uh, in my brain, it's like a master class. We're going to walk through the nuances and some unwritten rules in relationships so that you and I can discover how God is wanting us to interact with each other. And we're going to go to a book that's obscure for a lot of us, but, but I think it's going to be very, very, very beneficial and push all of us forward. And I'm not kidding when I say this. Turn to the book of Philemon. Philemon. Yep. You're like, I did not know. There's a book of the Bible named Philemon. It's true. Now, don't pretend you know where it is, okay? <laughs> go to the table of contents. If you're on your phone, go ahead and scroll, scroll right to it. It's a very small book of the New Testament. It is not the smallest of all the books, but it is a very, very small book. And this book only has one chapter. So when I say turn to chapter one, you're in chapter one. But this book here is beautiful in so many ways because it does give us some teaching on forgiveness and acceptance. It teaches us about reconciliation and relationships between Christians. Go with me to verse number one. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our dear brother, to Philemon. There it is. There's his name. 
to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very beginning of these first few verses, we get the understanding of who this is written to. Okay, so if we slow down for a second, this is where we get the name of the book. It is to Philemon. Now, it mentions our sister, mentions our fellow worker, but he also says, I'm writing this book to the church that meets in your home. A quick pause and shout out for connect groups for a second. Groups, the church meeting in home to home to home. We were never designed just to meet on a Sunday in a large gathering, but that next step, that next step for your development and your relational uh, growth and spiritual growth is found in connect groups. And if you don't have one, we're going to get you one. And if you have a, you're a connect group leader on the inside of you, we're going to raise you up to be a connect group leader as well. North Dallas, Bishop Arts, Oak Cliff, White Rock, all over the Metroplex because there's something about meeting home to home. But from there, let's dig into verses four through seven because the Apostle Paul is about to make a huge request, Okay. He's going to make a huge request to Philemon, something that could be very hard for him, but something that's very right. Many times the right thing and the hard thing is the same thing. We want to have the courage to do the right thing, even when it's the the hard thing. But before he ever gets there, look with me in verse number four. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people. And your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, again, he's talking to Philemon, you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. I want you to see. Before Paul, who's writing this letter, makes a withdrawal, he makes a deposit. Before he takes something out of his relational equity with Philemon, he first puts something into that relational equity. Now, you and I, we uh, have bank accounts. And if you don't, get one. But when you have a bank account and it's in the red, And if you've never been in the red, you haven't lived yet. (laughs) If you've never walked up to the counter like in the name of Jesus, let this card go through. (laughs) So when you're in the red, it's you do not have any money to take out. Or you have taken out more than you have put in. And many of us are in this place in our marriages. Many of us are in this place with our roommates. Many of us are in this place with our employees. Many of us are in this place with our coworkers. We have made so many withdrawals and not enough deposits. So we are now in the red. We are in the negative with these individuals. So when you go and you ask a favor, you ask them to do something for you, you are now taking when, where there is nothing there. So what do you got to do? You got to make sure you're intentional about making deposits into the relationships that matter in your life. You got to be intentional. 
You've got to be intentional. And look how the, what the Apostle Paul does here. He is both sincere and specific. Sincere and specific. It's not just general, oh, you're a great person. When you read through verses 4 through 7, you can see that he knows Philemon. You can see that he has heard some very specific things about his life. And you can see the Apostle Paul is now referring to these things. I'm trying to help those of you who have a team around you, not just to lead them aimlessly, but go ahead, pause, write a thank you note for just a second and say, I saw what you did and I want to say thank you for what you did. And when you do that, it is a deposit into the relationship so later when you need to make a withdrawal, something is there. Here's the Apostle Paul painting a clear picture for us. Now, the sincerity piece of this matters because all of us have know what it's like to feel manipulated, right? Like someone's coming to you like, your hair looks great today. And you think in your head, what do you want? Oh, I love you. What do you need? Some of you have some cousins, and they only call when their phone number shows up on your phone. You know it is not because you are a great person. It's because they need something. It doesn't feel sincere. There's something about people knowing that you care about them for who they are, not for what they can do for you. There's something about being the type of person that looks people in the eyes and says, I want what's best for you, even if it might not be what's best for me. There is something about you and I being willing to lay down our lives for someone else. This is the path of Christ. This is the way of Christ. This is something about you and I saying, I care about you just because of who you are, not because of what you can do for me. And in this dog-eat world that we are in, I'm telling you, this will separate you from all of your other coworkers. This will separate you from your friends. This will separate you from everyone else that's trying to get their business off the ground. It will separate you when people know that you genuinely care about who they are. But let's keep on going here. Now let's get into some of the requests that the Apostle Paul is about to make. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you, I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. What happened? What we understand or what we think is Philemon is a man of influence and prominence. This man of influence and prominence has a slave. The slave's name is Onesimus. Onesimus, we believe, has stolen from his boss. He has stolen from him and he has fled. And now that he is on the run, he ends up in jail. He's going from problem to problem to problem. We don't know how his life got started off out this way. We don't know if his dad wasn't around. We don't know if his parents got divorced when he was young. We don't know these other things about him. But somehow, some way, he ends up in some pattern of crime. He ends up messing up his life. He ends up making a foolish decision. And when he makes his foolish decision at Philemon's house, he's on the run. Little does he know that God is even after 
after runaways, that God does not forget about someone just because they made a mistake. He does not know that God is still pursuing him even when he has betrayed somebody else's confidence, that the God of heaven says, I know you by name and you think you're running from me, but you're actually running right to me because I'm actually going to put you in prison next to a person that's going to share the message of Jesus Christ with you and your life's going to be changed from the inside out. This is a sovereignty of our God. Can I just say for a second to everyone who's with us today that if you're running from God, his sovereignty has brought you to this place, this moment right now. And he's saying, son, daughter, it's time to come home. I've been after you your whole life. So this is all that is happening. But look in verse number eight again. He, the apostle Paul says when he's writing to Philemon, there's something you ought to do. And I can actually make you do it. But I'm not going to do that. You see it? Order you to do what you ought to do, but I won't. Why? He says, if I order you to do it, I get your hands. But if I go about this another way, I can get your heart. And this, this is a very, it's very, very different to have someone's hands and not have their heart. If you get someone's heart, you get their hands. But if you get their hands, you might not get their heart. Look with me in verse number nine, real quick. Verse number nine says, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. I could command you to do this, but I'm not going to command you to do this. What I'm going to do is appeal to you on the basis of love. You ever had a boss that was like they were really into their title? Like they're really into like, oh, hey, hey, hey. Uh, I'm a supervisor here. I'm a supervisor. Is there a problem? Is there a problem? Is there a problem? You need a supervisor. <laughs> you can be around. The, you're like, wait, wait. Uh, okay. We don't need. There's no problem here. We're just talking. It's just two employees here right now. Okay. Okay. Well, you let me know. You let me know. The office, you know, it's kind of notorious for this kind of stuff. It, you, you can see the nuances where somebody really gets into their title. And when people are into their title, they'll try to force employees to do things. They try to make demands on people. And it's all about, I said it. And because I said it, you better do it. And if you don't do it, then I'm going to write you up. And if I write you up, then I can get you fired. And that person will never inspire anyone to take a hill for them. If you want someone to take a hill for you, you cannot just go after their hands. You have to go after their heart. If you want someone to take a bullet for you, you do not go after their hands. You have to go after their heart. If you want someone who is going to be willing to stand up and say, hey, I'm on your side when everyone else is tearing you down, you cannot just go after their hands. You have to go after their heart. And you want to be the type of leader that is worth following so that people will be willing to step up and lay down their life for you but too many times too many times individuals in dating relationships and marriages I've seen husbands that come in I, I hear them talking and I'm like wait wait what you can't quote Ephesians 5 like that well you know she's supposed to submit to me Brother, you already lost. Okay, you already, you already lost. It's 2019. It don't work like it used to work anymore, okay? And it shouldn't. How it should work is husbands. You love your wives as Christ 
loves the church. That means, husbands, you are willing to lay down your life for your wife even if your wife turns her back on you. That means even if she sins against you, you still extend love and grace her direction. It means you are willing to go to the very end of your life in order to see her rescued. And that type of love there, you don't just get your wife's hands, you get your wife's heart. I'm talking about you and I having the type of relationships that actually bring God glory and and help the world see who he is. This, my friends, this, my friends, it's just a... It's, it's a different way of looking at things. Behavior modification is what our world is into. Parents, you know this. Our kids, they're terrible. <laughs> I'm thankful for them. <laughs> they, don't listen, they don't listen. I mean, you said it once, right? Didn't you say it once? You, you said it once. Don't take the crayon and draw on your face or your brother's face. Or the wall. I said it once. Why am I saying this again? You're 19. Why am I saying this again? You got another problem if that's your, if that's your issue. We're, we, we, want, we want our kids when they're at the party and we're not there to make the choice that we would want them to make. And yes, you can keep them from the parties. You can. You can do that all the way until they're 18. But one day they'll leave your house. And when they leave your house, do, they have, do you have their heart? Or have you just had their compliance? And if you just have their compliance, that's when they get 18 and they lose their minds. Now, those of you who are 18 and losing your mind, don't try to blame it on your parents. Like, man, I just been on lockdown my whole life, and now I have some freedom. It was their fault. No, no, you don't get to do that. But I'm talking about you and I getting to the heart of the matter. You want to see your relationships moving forward? Stop using people. People aren't stepping stones. They are gifts that God has given the earth to be opened and to be treasured. So here, here, uh, he, he says, he says um, I, I appeal to you on the basis of love. Now, when he's saying I appeal to you on the basis of love, I don't want you to think that Jesus is being soft. Okay? Because I am a little concerned. So there's a little caveat. I'm a little concerned about Christians just thinking they have to be soft. Because you need to have a backbone. All right? If, if you don't stand up for some things... You will be walked all over, okay? And this world is not interested in you just going, okay, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, yes, you can take advantage of me. You can take advantage of me. You can take advantage of me. And they will just keep taking advantage of you and taking advantage of you and taking advantage of you. So I I want you to remember that Jesus did lay down his life for all of humanity. But he also went into the temple courts and flipped over some tables. I want you to remember that he grabbed a whip, okay? My mom tried to use this passage of scripture when she used to beat me when I was a child. <laughs> okay? You shouldn't use the text this way, okay? That, that's, not, that's not right, mom. I forgive you, though. So she actually never, never did that. But Jesus here, Jesus goes into the temple with a whip. 
He's turning over tables. This is a picture of Jesus a lot of us are not used to. But Jesus understood that in this part of the temple, the Gentiles were supposed to come in and be able to learn what it means to interact with God. But instead of making it a place of prayer, everyone had made it a place, a, a den of thieves and robbers and were buying and selling and it was loud. And you did not have any ability to hear from God at all. And Jesus said, this is not right. So yes, I'm here to die for everyone, but I'm also here to make sure I clear a path for people. And sometimes you have to have a machete in your hands and be willing to say, I'm going to cut some things down so I can make a path for some people to come behind me. But I appeal to you on the basis of love. On the basis of love. So I, I, uh, I know our staff, our, our, our staff team, I can, I can say, hey, staff, be nice to everybody. You better. I could do that. But instead, I choose to say, hey, staff, remember, serve team, remember that this week a business owner is coming in. And this business owner has gone as far as he or she thinks they can go. And they're about to lose everything and they don't think there's any hope. So they're wondering if their life insurance policy would be better than them being alive. So what I need you to do is not just go from thing to thing to thing and just do a job. I need you to slow down and look people in the eyeball. Because if you're willing to look them in the eyeball, you'll be able to see that him or her. And you can bring them some value and worth and remind them who God called them to be. So they put the gun away or the pills away and they step into the plan and purpose that God has for them. Verse 9b, 9b, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I want you to write down these words. Vulnerability is attractive. The apostle Paul is saying, I'm old now, I'm old. I'm even a prisoner. There was a day, there was a day I could just go. Shoot, man, yesterday I was playing with my kids in the backyard. I don't even know what I did. I just kicked the ball. It was a little kick. Wasn't <laughs> even a big one. You know what? Ah, no, no, just a. Rest of the day, my back was hurting. Rest of the day. I'm like, man, look, I'm an old man. <laughs> I'm still going to keep kicking that ball and throwing the ball at my kid's head and face. It was awesome the entire time. I was just pummeling each other with that ball. I'm an old man. There's something about vulnerability that whenever you put off that you have everything together, it does not draw people to you. It repels people from you. Brent Brown has some great talks about vulnerability. I want us to understand this beautiful, this beautiful truth. When Thomas, some call him Doubting Thomas, the disciple who was not there when Jesus was risen from the dead, and he said, I'm not going to believe it unless he shows up. So he has one moment of doubt, and all of a sudden we've labeled him his entire life. I'm glad I have not been labeled with my one mistake in my entire life. But he has this mistake where he's doubting, and then Jesus shows up. And the thing that helps Thomas believe is not just that the body was there. It's that Jesus' body had the place where Thomas could put the whole, his hands in the holes, the holes from the, the crucifixion, the, the spear in his side. When Thomas was able to touch the scars and the wounds, that's the thing that helped Thomas be able to believe. If we, as the body of Christ, want to help the world believe, it is not us covering 
covering up our scars and putting makeup all over them. It is actually you and I saying, hey, I went through divorce, but God brought me to the other side. Hey, I was depressed, but God brought me to the other side. Hey, I was at the end of my rope, but God carried me by his grace. This is what helps the world believe. What's a scar? It's proof you've been hurt and proof that you've been healed. And this is what our world needs because so many of us are walking around hurting and broken. So many of us are dealing with so much pain and heartache and someone needs to hear your story. Why at Easter did we, were these people courageous enough to put their stories up and share, hey, I've been battling grief. When I lost my father, I thought I was going to lose my life. Hey, we were trying to get pregnant and we couldn't get pregnant for years and years and years. Hey, I was an alcoholic. I was about to die, but God raised me up out of that grave. Why are we sharing these things? It's to remind you that God still does his greatest work when we are in our greatest pain. This is what he does. Vulnerability. It's attractive. So you, you, keep, you keep on reading here. All of this, all of this is right here. But go, go with me, go with me to verse number 10. It says that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while, while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. Everybody say useless. Useless to you. But now he has become useful. Everybody, all locations say useful. He's become useful to you, to both you and me. Why is this cool? It's cool because the name Onesimus actually means useful. So the Apostle Paul here is playing with words. Saying, hey, Onesimus, yeah, this is what his name means. He has not been useful to you, but now he's useful to both of us. But he used to be useless, but he's not useless anymore. What he is saying is, hey, I'm restoring the value and the dignity that God put on this man from the very beginning. And I know he's made some mistakes, but his mistakes will not define him. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed him and changed him. And now he has gone from darkness to light. And this is what God has done with all of us when we surrender our hearts and our lives to him. He gives you back the worth and the value that the cross demands and displays that you deserve so now now uh get to verse 15 perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord Jesus. Perhaps the reason, perhaps the reason he stole from you. Perhaps the reason you went through that difficulty. Perhaps the reason you went through that betrayal is just so that you can get to this moment and Philemon, you can be an example of the grace and the rest and the restorative power of God to take someone who's lost and put them on a brand new path. Perhaps all of this happened so that the world could see the goodness of God displayed in your life. For me, perhaps my dad was not around when I was growing up, not because God was mad at me, but so that God heaven could show me that he's able to be a father to the fatherless perhaps I went through everything I went through 
perhaps God has been working in your life this entire time. Perhaps he's brought you to the end of your rope right now. Perhaps he's brought you to a place of pain and difficulty and confusion, not because he's against you, but because he's so for you. And if you did not get to the bottom of the barrel, you would not be able to experience the high that comes from being rescued by the goodness and the grace of God. Perhaps all this happens because God's been working in your life behind the scenes. Perhaps. Perhaps. But in this story, there's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because this is not ultimately about you and I. About you and I getting ahead. But it's about the kingdom of God being advanced. Verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. This is where we see a beautiful picture of the gospel. I was reading these words as if maybe Jesus was writing them to you and to me. What if Jesus said, so if you consider me a savior, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he or she has done anything, has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to the cross. I couldn't help but see a bunch of us as debt collectors. We're going around. We're thinking about the people who have betrayed us and hurt us. People who were supposed to be there for us and were not. People that were supposed to have our back and did not. People that we thought would be by our side forever and they are not. People that we thought would be with us but they didn't take care of themselves physically so we had to put them in a grave too early. People that said, hey, I'm your best friend, but then they ended up stabbing you in the back and going a whole nother direction. I cannot help but think so many of us have brothers and sisters and co-workers and, and, and classmates and fraternity brothers and sorority sisters. People that they said, I will be with you forever, but they are not with you anymore and they owe you something and you are carrying around their debt with you and it's actually not making them any worse. It's making your life worse because you're the one carrying around the debt and you're making other people pay for something that they did. And I'm asking you, since there is a debt and someone has to pay it, who are you going to charge it to? Because if you keep charging it to that person's account, you are wasting emotional energy and precious time going after someone that may never acknowledge what they ever did to you. But if you can take that debt and you can nail it to an old rugged cross, then Jesus Christ can cancel that debt and you and I can walk in freedom and new life. This, my friends, This is what we pick up in these 20-something verses in this random passage of Scripture. Forgiveness, acceptance, and the debt we owe being canceled at the cross. And the debt others owe to us being canceled at the cross as well. So we can live free and for the glory of God.
if you wouldn't mind, at all of our locations, bow your heads just for a moment. At all of, your loca- all of our locations, as we bow our head, I'm going to invite your campus pastor up right now as well. But I, I have a question for all of us. If you've never given your heart and your life to Christ, you've never made him first, you've never made him number one. You're sitting at White Rock or the Sandman Hotel or you're at Chimes and Bishop Arts Oak Cliff and you're saying, that's me. I've never given my heart and my life to Christ. I've never made him first. I've never made him number one. I've never made him boss of my life. If I'm honest with myself right now, I would say I'm in the driver's seat of my life. Christ is not. And you're saying you don't want to go your own way anymore. You want to go his way. You don't want to be first in your life. You want him to be first. You do not want to be the boss of your life any longer. You want Christ to be the boss of your life. If that's you, as our heads about at all of our locations, I'm going to ask you to do something simple but something bold on the count of three. I literally want you to shoot your hand in the air and say, yes, that is me. I want to give my heart and my life to Christ. I don't care whether you're in the lobby at White Rock or wherever location you are on the count of three. If this is you, you want to give your heart to Christ for the first time or rededicate your life to serving him. On the count of three, throw your hand in the air. One, two, three. Just put it up in the air. You're saying, yes, that's me. I want to give my heart. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to make him first. I want to make him number one. I don't want to go my own way anymore. I want to go his way. I'm going to ask every person under the sound of my voice, put your hand over your heart if you would not mind. I'm going to ask all of us to repeat this prayer out loud after me. Say, dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I admit I've made mistakes. And today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Give me the power to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's lift our heads up and clap our hands with enthusiasm.